0: Welcome to Demand and Disrupt, the Disability Podcast. Here, we will learn to advocate for ourselves and each other. This podcast is supported with funds from the Advocado Press based in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Kara Ayers is an Associate Professor at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center and the University of Cincinnati Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities. She's a researcher who studies parenting with a disability and healthcare inequities faced by people with disabilities. She is also the mother of three children, ages five, twelve, and seventeen. Welcome, Dr. Ayers. Kira, tell me a little about yourself. You are chapter, is it three or four in the book? Oh gosh, I do not remember.
1: <laughs> you're higher than me.
0: I'm 23, so I know okay. you're Okay. <laughs> um, I
1: wish we had our editor, Dave. He knows this all by he,
0: by heart. Yes. He, he so tell me about yourself, Kara.
1: Yeah, well, I had the opportunity to share my most cherished role in the book as mother. I'm a mom to three kids, a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a five-year-old. So back-to-school season for us right now is busy and exciting. I am a proud disabled woman, also the the wife to a disabled man. So we have a lot of disability happening in our house, which to us is a positive Part of life and a part of our identity. I have osteogenesis imperfecta, which is a genetic condition that causes my bones to break more easily than most. And it's also a type of dwarfism. So I'm a little person who uses a wheelchair for mobility. And let's see, professionally, I am a psychologist and I research. um, So I don't see patients in my current role. Instead, I, I do research and training, teaching about a number of different disability issues, including parenting with a disability. So I have what I consider to be a really good fortune to both you know, live that role and then also study it to hopefully help more people understand that we're
0: out there and we're leading families like everybody else. Huh. That's, that's interesting that uh, you mentioned you're a proud uh, disabled person. Now, I know there's a lot of not really controversy, but a lot of head-scratching about the whole disability pride issue. Do you want to speak to that?
1: Yeah, I think that everyone kind of comes to their own, um, and I don't even know if comes, comes to a point because I think it's always evolving, but I think, you know, identity is a personal matter that is often unique for each individual, and I didn't always identify with pride in my disability. I think that, when I started to learn that other people did, it was surprising to me because I had more endorsed what I feel like most of society tries to teach us about disability is that it's something to overcome. And so I, somewhere in my college years had a shift of perspective, largely by being around other people with disabilities to really think about how, well, what if the things that I achieve aren't despite disability, but are influenced by the fact that I have these experiences and, you know, the lessons that I've learned from not only being who I am, but also I have the good fortune to be connected to our community, which
0: is, I think, really cool. <laughs> I I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I you, you came to it so much earlier than I did. You said in college, I very, very recently came to that. I'm still struggling with this on my own as I, you know, listen to People talk about disability pride, so I, but I definitely, I am proud of the people I know, you mm-hmm. know, and the, the community. It's a, a wonderful group of people willing to help and well, just in general, they're just great people.
1: Pride means like we have to love every part of our disability itself. I mean, there are parts of my disability. I'm not sure about yours, but mine, you know, brings pain, literal pain sometimes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, mm, exactly. I don't have to love that. So yeah, I do walk of you know, I try to figure out a balance between I don't want to be all kind of overly saccharine, you know, like there's nothing challenging about it, but I I do feel like you can have pride in the midst of that.
0: Yep, yeah, I I do I do agree.
1: So now tell me about your parenting journey. My husband and I both knew we wanted to be parents. We sought some advice from experts, largely from going our disability OI has um, conferences where medical experts largely volunteer their time and will kind of answer questions to folks. Of course, it's all kind of like informal a bit, you know, but it's a rare opportunity to talk to people who specialize in your rare condition. So we had gotten information that way about, you know, things like pers- genetically, what would be the odds of us, um, having a healthy pregnancy or what would be the odds of us passing on our OI or not. So we felt like we needed to educate ourselves about all of those things and also have a lot of, you know, heart to heart discussions with each other and also with ourselves. And kind of at the culmination of all that, we pursued pregnancy with our first and was fortunate to um, have a healthy pregnancy with her um, in 2010. She's my 12 year old and she was born without OI which we feel is just exactly who she was meant to be just as who we believe we, we are meant to be who we are. So it's a little tricky. Cause I think, you know, some people feel as though it was like, she was lucky or we're lucky. I feel like luck has kind of strange connotations because I don't feel like that I was unlucky to be born this way. So, you know, it's just tricky, but so then we knew. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, same.
1: So then four years later, we knew, or about actually two, three years later, we knew we wanted to give her a sibling, but we weren't sure if that was another pregnancy for me or not. And so we pursued adoption and we brought home, our son is, um, he was adopted at age seven from China and he has achondroplasia, um, which is a, a different form of dwarfism from ours, but one that a disability that we felt is you know very similar to ours in many ways so we were familiar with like medical aspects as well as social aspects that we could help him in navigating life and so there so he's actually he was the oldest so my my 12 year old has the interesting experience of being the only the younger and then now the middle because in 2017 <laughs> I had my our youngest he's five and who's oh, Now unexpectedly yelling for me, but um it happened. So yeah. (laughs) So she was, yeah, our last. And now I definitely know the experience the saying of my heart is full. So (laughs) um but (laughs) overflowing. So I had another healthy pregnancy with her. She also interestingly was born without OI. So um, you know, genetically our odds were 75% that our child would have OI. The only piece of that 75% that we were most concerned about is 25% is that the baby would inherit both of our genetic mutations, which would be double dominance, which there's really not much literature related to our disability. But if we look at the research related to achondroplasia, which there's more, it's typically really not good outcomes. Usually the babies don't survive um, pregnancy with a double Mm -hmm. mutation. So Mm -hmm. that was the outcome that we were most afraid of and with every pregnancy we would ever have, we would have a one in four chance of that happening. And then on the flip side, we have the one in four chance that they would inherit neither of our mutated genes. And that is what happened two times for us with our girls. So so we have two girls um without disabilities and then our son
0: is the oldest has a disability. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that just those genetic questions are, um, are hard. I'm, my disability is genetic also. And there was a 50% chance and we have two children. One of them has it. And, uh, one of them does not. And I am just, I am glad that I, and that you had the choice to plan our families as we, as we wanted them, exactly, um, yeah. as we, as we envisioned our families being, and that we, we were able to make the choices that were right for us. I'm very right. glad that, that we had that. So, and I know in part of your work, you lead the Parenting Project, Disabled Parenting Project Facebook group. Did I get that right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. So tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So this um, originated from uh, some research I conducted several years ago, Involving interviews with parents with disabilities. And then we realized from that that there was a real want and need for cross disability peer support. And at that time, you know, this was 2010, where Facebook groups were not quite as active and common as they are now. So, we um, originally were kind of a website and a blog and connecting people. I think in the early days we were even a forum. Um, but oh, yeah. then we moved on to um, a Facebook group, which is technically closed. So we try to create it as safe as a space as you can on 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 a Facebook group, um, meaning that um, everyone in the group endorses says the question um, yes to the question that they are either a parent with a disability or a person with a disability who is uh, thinking about parenting, so kind of figuring it out and and getting some of that information. And so, yeah, there's all kinds of questions that are brought there ranging from, you know, what are the best strollers for a wheelchair user to a lot of grappling with, you know, the doubt and the stigma that parents with disabilities face. So there's some Mm -hmm. opportunity to have those discussions with other people who understand
0: too. And it's for people with all kinds of disabilities, is that correct?
1: It is, yes, it's cross disability. Um, that's been kind of a feature of my work. I've, I feel that we largely share more in common than have you know distinctions by diagnosis. Of course, when we need our medical care, we um, you know, we need to go to specialists that know our particular diagnosis, but outside of that, I feel like many of our experiences are more similar than different.
0: So, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to ask is, tell me one of the ways in which you have had to demand the title of this uh, podcast is demand and disrupt. So tell me one of the ways in which you've had to demand equality for yourself as a parent or for your children. I love that title. Um, Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We Uh, brainstormed a long time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Love it. Well, it's perfect for parenting too. I feel like, oh my gosh demands on yourself and your body and And then also the demands that they make of us you know those we're still in those that era with my five-year-old you know working on let's be less demanding when we have our needs but um, (laughs) yeah I mean really in a lot of ways I think the act of pursuing parenting both ways that I have whether it be through biologically through a pregnancy or through adoption has in some ways felt at different points, like a demand and disruption, Um, you know, and that I think you have to be confident enough, or at least put on the face of confidence (laughs) that you have to keep going, even when other people are, you know, saying like,
0: well, I don't
1: know, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about that? And in recognizing that at least for me, no, I hadn't thought of everything that I had done a lot of thinking and and you know especially I think with in thinking about adoption where I guess there was a little bit more even playing field in that all parents have to go through a home study process and kind of demonstrate their qualifications as parents but we had that additional step to kind of demonstrate qualifications as disabled parents and also doing that with China the government and their perceptions of disability so there is like this demand and disruption and I think that it's you know it's even hard for me to say like oh was I demanding because I'm I don't know culturally I don't think I am a very demanding person if you (laughs) meet me and know me but um (laughs) but definitely disruptive and I guess I I go about my demands in different ways you know I make my case and I know that the end result is what's most important. And that's, that was definitely true for all three of my, of my kids. So.
0: Yeah. I think um, having children any, in any, in any way is an act of love and an act of hope. And I feel like that is an act of resistance right now just exactly. to bring that love and hope into the world. So um, did you, did you face any barriers because of the disabilities in terms of adopting a child from China?
1: We were, relatively fortunate in that I think I, and not, I mean, now this is a, a, a situation where I will say, you know, luck may come in because I don't think that, I don't think that it's like I prepared myself well enough that I just averted all the questions. Um, <laughs> although I, I did try to do like a ton of research and ask questions. And I had a lot of friends w- who one parent of the couple had a disability. And so I tried to garner information about okay, what questions did you face? So that, and I knew we were going to have kind of double that issue. And our agency was not aware of another um, couple where both parents were in a wheelchair that China had approved for adoption. But what we did try to do was to really make the case that we understood his disability really well because we were like him in many ways, and and I think that worked out to our favor. So I mean our largest barriers were probably in traveling to China. And, you know, it, we took um, my in-laws with us and because we knew that we could face, you know, accessibility barriers like we'd never seen before. And oh, yeah. we would still yeah. have to do whatever it was to make sure we 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 got all the paperwork done all across China um, to get him adopted. So we knew we couldn't be like, well, we can't, you know, at one point there was a building that um, we needed to sign papers on the fifth floor and there was no elevator. And, you know, whereas in Uh the United States, we could kind of say, you have to bring it down to us. Or I don't know. We Uh felt like we had the minute you leave us soil, I feel like as a disabled person, I definitely feel as though I leave a lot behind. (laughs) Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, and, and it's not perfect. Obviously the ADA is not what I wish it was, but right. having nothing like that in a foreign country has oh, the, the few times that I've traveled
0: internationally. has made me very nervous. <laughs> I would I, be nervous. I've never tried. I've never traveled out of the country, but it, yeah, it would, it would make me nervous. I hate traveling. I told my husband, I don't want to go any further than the mailbox. That's as far <laughs> as I'm going. So. <laughs> I've kind of gotten that way with COVID. Like I yeah, I definitely don't know yeah, yeah. as much as I used to. <laughs> uh, exactly. Exactly. So wonderful. Well, do you have is it are there any differences in terms of just parenting with your particular disability from the biological standpoint versus the adoption? Um yeah. I have a friend who adopted and she said adoption is easy because you haven't just given birth when you mm. take care of the child. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was nice. We did. It was funny because we were really hit by jet lag when we brought him home, but he has always just been just a force of energy that we were like, how is he not jet (laughs) lag? Because we were so tired, but he was like springing up, you know, at the crack of dawn. And, um, and at that time when we brought him home, we had, his sister was four. So we had a four and a seven year old and they were like, you know, finally together or in just. Two little balls of energy. But yeah, it was definitely better than having to recover from my disability. I have to have a C section. It's very uh-huh. planned. Yes. And, um, son was also, yeah. Yeah. So it, uh-huh. it was better in that sense. Uh, yeah. I think in some ways, though, with uh, adoption brings it still to our, you know, still brings a lot of mysteries. And some of those are, you know, positive and some of those are really hard. And so I think that part is, is one that, that a lot of people don't necessarily think about, at least that's been our experience. Um, Definitely, you know, both a beautiful and a a heartbreaking experience. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I think it's always, there's just so much loss wrapped up in, in our gains and, and his gains as well. But yeah, I just think it, uh, but uh, again, in similar ways that I'm just so fortunate to have connections to the disability community, I'm grateful, you know, that he opened the doors that I have connections to China I never would have thought that when I was a kid growing up in Kentucky (laughs) right (laughs) so
0: yes that's pretty
1: pretty cool I actually you know before I knew that pregnancy was possible for me I always thought that adoption would be the only route to parenthood for me but even after I you know had a healthy pregnancy I really never viewed adoption as a path you know because because pregnancy wasn't one, like I didn't view it as a kind of second best option. (laughs) So I still very much wanted to look into that. And thankfully it, Mm -hmm. it worked out for us. You know, the world changes so, so rapidly that a few years after we adopted Eli, China pretty radically changed their rules. And I'm not sure that we would be approved to adopt again. I'm not sure we would get through like the initial stages. There's some wording there that says that if you have any impairments to any of your limbs, which we have impairments to all of our limbs. <laughs> so yeah. 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 So what,
0: it's hard. What prompted yeah. What prompted that? What prompted that change? Do you know? Or
1: uh, There's, you know, there's like landmines of political stuff with adoption in international countries. And there had been some issues of disruptions, meaning that uh, United States couples or parents would adopt a child and then disrupt once they got back home. Um, And, and China was pretty unhappy about that. So that's what I've heard. I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. know. So they kind of tried to make more stringent rules. They no longer allowed um, families to adopt two children at once. So there were, there were several other rules. It wasn't just the disability kind
0: of
1: factor, but it does hurt my heart because when other young people come to me who have OI and want to know about our adoption journey, I wish I could feel more confident to tell them, you know, that they could do this too. Or I just don't know. You know, it's so hard. Yeah. You can't predict China's system. Can't really predict can't, ours the, either, but.
0: <laughs> no, the vagaries of <laughs> geopolitics. Um, right. You can exactly. never be sure. But maybe they'll, maybe they'll change it back, you know.
1: Yeah, um, I hope so. And you got to try. You don't, you really don't know until you go down the road a bit. So.
0: Yeah, I can see you, how it would be to. heartbreaking yeah. to. Yeah have your heart set on doing that, and then realize because of this, I can't do it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Kara, thank you so much. I appreciate you talking with me. Yeah, this was great. And uh, congratulations on your wonderful family. Thank you. Thanks, Kara, for talking with us. And I'll have links to Kara's work in the show notes, and you can follow her work on Twitter and her home life on Instagram. Thanks, everyone. Bye, bye. Thanks to Chris Ankin for music. Thanks to Joe Hodge for technical support. If you have questions or comments, send them to demandanddisrupt at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review. If you really like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe and tell others about us. Until next time, thanks for listening.